Hello everyone, and welcome back to Disruptive Voices. My name is Katriona Gold, and you're listening to UCL Grand Challenges mini-series on critical global health. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Amada Graft Aikens, who is British Academy Global Professor at the UCL Institute for Advanced Studies. Thank you for joining me today, Ava. Hi, Kat. All right. As you know, we're speaking today as part of UCL's Grand Challenge of Global Health, which is supporting an initiative to connect and advocate for critical global health scholarship at UCL. And as part of that, we're trying to establish how UCL scholars are understanding and working with the concept of critical global health. So, Emma, that's my first question to you. What do you see as a critical approach to global health? For you, what are the key issues we need to be thinking about? And perhaps we could talk about that first by getting into your current project at UCL, Chronicity and Care in African Context. So if you'd like to tell me a bit about that to start with. Okay, let's start with the definition and I'll talk about my project. I think we have to begin by defining global health. I mean, there have been lots of different definitions of global health. But I like this one by Beagle, Hole and Juanita, and they propose a definition of global health as collaborative transnational research and action for promoting health for all, so across nations. And I think that a critical global health approach really suggests a subfield of global health that prioritizes the value agency and power of the local. So those who work within the critical global health field will be open and committed to interdisciplinarity, participatory methods, equitable partnerships, and meaningful social change. I thought I'd say that to kind of bookend, you know, my little spiel about chronicity and care in African context. So yeah, my current project is funded by the British Academy. It has two strands. I'm interested, first of all, in how we draw on social responses to chronic conditions in African contexts and how these social responses can help us to think through context-specific, sort of locally relevant models of chronic care, but also public engagement. And so one big strand is public engagement. I'm trying to think about how do we bring, you know, just the diversity and the creativity of the social, really, you know, to bear on how people make sense of illness, you know, long-term illness and the burden of care. And the other bit is empirical study based in London, focusing on Londoners of West African heritage and really asking new questions about chronic illness experiences, chronic care practices, and what this means for health and social care policy in the UK. So these are two things that I'm doing really to sort of look at chronicity and care in these contexts. Right. That's, that's fascinating. I'm wondering what the geography of this project is. In, so you mentioned that you're working with people of West African origin in, in the UK. Mm-hmm. What sites are you working in? I'm actually just following people who have illness. And, and I mean, the, the, the prickle bit of the London study is basically looking at chronic illness writ large. So I'm interested in the chronic illness experience. So I'm focusing on a wide range of chronic conditions, diabetes, hypertension, dementia, cancers. And what I'm doing is sort of using typical snowballing approach where one person leads me to another. So we've interviewed people across London, living in West London, North London, South London, East London, but also through their experiences, trying to understand, for instance, how the NHS works, you know, what kinds of care do various trusts in London provide to people living with chronic conditions, but also to minoritized communities, right, in London. So really I'm following people. 
also my geographical scope is London and where people live and where people are willing to talk to me about their everyday experiences and long-term care issues. I mean, that's really interesting because I think often when we hear the term global mm-hmm. health, we think of elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's been true of a lot of the people I've spoken to so far for this podcast. It's been work that's been done, quote unquote, elsewhere, critically, but quote unquote, elsewhere, right? Exactly. But, but that's why I started with that definition, right? Promoting health for all across nations. And I think the thing about global health is that it often becomes a project of gathering data in the global south to produce theory in the global north. But what happens then is, you know, when we're actually then gathering data in the global north, particularly with sort of marginalized, minoritized ethnic communities, it doesn't have a name really, does it? I mean, it's, what is it? Is it public health? <laughs> and, you know, is it global health? What is it? We need to sort of define that. Right. So I think this project actually allows me to tease apart some of these sorts of silences and, you know, non-definitions of what we do in global health. Another thing that's emerged very clearly in this research, and it's something that's been reported across a new and growing sort of field in research on diaspora African communities in the global north, is this idea of people taking therapeutic journeys and drawing on transnational therapy networks. So you might be living in London, dealing with diabetes and hypertension and seeing your doctor in London, but you're also drawing on family advice, support from your country of origin. You might go on medical holidays to your country of origin and seek some additional care. And so these are really important because I think it also draws on what happens when people leave the global north. You know, how then do we think about collaborations across health systems, for instance, and how health policies are geared towards this you know, how people move, move around globally in search of health, in search of healing, in search of cures, really, you know? Right. So then this approach of following the individuals Mm -hmm. involved, that's really interesting. You do also have another project, Mm -hmm. a long project, which is a more sort of, would it be fair to say it's more traditional in that it's based in Accra, Mm -hmm. right? Would you be able to tell me more about that project? Yeah, absolutely. So this project is called Tree Anna the Triana project. And Triana is a, is a guard term, which means take heart. It started in 2010, began really with a traditional demographic health project. I was based at the Regional Institute for Population Studies at University of Ghana and RIPS for short. That's, you know, it's called RIPS in, in, at UG. And RIPS had basically got this huge funding to set up a demographic surveillance site in um, a community called Gamashi. Gamashi is a twin township, Jamestown, Ashertown. Both are called Old Accra because they were there before Accra became the capital, you know, of Ghana in 1877, I think. And so the idea really was to just conduct periodic epidemiological surveys, demographic surveys, gathering data really on health development, climate change, these sorts of really topical issues at the time, and to use the data to inform policy, health policy, social policy, public policy for the community. Now, I had just joined RIPS at the time in 2010. I'd left the UK, joined RIPS and My work has always been on chronic illness experiences. So I began really by gathering interview data with women living with diabetes. And it was really just a 
I'm just going to embed myself in this demographic, you know, projects and see what I can find, you know, with women dealing with chronic illnesses. And over a, what, 12-year period, it's kind of developed into something way bigger. I mean, we got seed funding to do more research on people living with hypertension, cardiovascular diseases. We sort of incorporated chronic disease questions in the demographic sort of survey instruments. So we're able to gather larger scale sort of quantitative data around perceptions, attitude, and what people do with food and things like this. And then we were able also to support graduate students at the University of Ghana across disciplines, population studies, social policy, pharmacy, and psychology. And so I think it became the kind of project that I highlighted in my definition about critical global health, which is that it kind of began locally. It started with a RIPS project led by University of Ghana academics, demographers, and population scientists. And then even the expansion of it really was very much a Global South-led project. Almost all the local leads were based at the University of Ghana. We got funding from colleagues, partners at NYU, for instance, but it was very much we're giving you this money to, you know, think through this project, right? Develop the questions and we'll come in when there's data to be gathered and interpretation of data to be done and so on. So I think it's, for me, it's been the most exciting project I've been in, well, I've led really. I mean, in terms of just the ticking all the boxes of partnerships, of products, of transformation, of capacity building, really. Yeah. That's something that I've talked about with some of my other interviewees for this podcast is this question of equitable collaboration. And I think maybe coming at it from a slightly different angle. Mm -hmm. So you were working yourself um, Mm -hmm. in Ghana at the time this project started? I was, yes, I was working at the time. It's interesting because I think I've always done this straddling thing where I'm either sort of, you know, based in the UK and doing research in the UK and Ghana or based in Ghana and collaborating with, you know, that's been my career really over the last, I would say, 20 years. But yes, at the time when I began the Triana project, I had just joined University of Ghana as a faculty member and I needed something to do that because, okay, I'll go back a little bit. So my PhD focused on diabetes experiences in rural and urban Ghana. Again, I was based at LSC, but gathering data in Ghana. I'm British of Ghanaian parentage, so I kind of see myself, I think I work the hyphen, you know, (laughs) that's what I do. So I gather data in Accra and the middle belt of Ghana, a region called Brongahafu region. So I would shuttle between Accra and Brongahafu, you know, gathering data. And of course, it led to my PhD thesis and a series of papers that came out of that. And I always, I'm a social psychologist. I, I trained my PhDs in social psychology. And I always wanted to really do community health development. My PhD supervisor, Catherine Campbell, a professor of social psychology. She had done a lot of work on HIV AIDS in Southern Africa, but really, really kind of grounded grassroots, working with local communities, building interventions from ground up, you know, developing theory really out of data collection. And I wanted to do a similar thing in Ghana, you know, with chronic illness. So I'd always wanted to go back and gather data and and really think through interventions that matter, right? But when I went back in 2010, I didn't have funding to actually shuttle between Accra and Brongahaf. It's kind of like a, a six-hour drive to go up there. But then this Gamashi project presented itself. I thought, well, hey, Jamestown, Asha Town in Accra, 30-minute drive when the traffic isn't that bad. 
I can actually go and gather data on a weekly basis and really just learn with the community as I go along. So that's how it started, really. So I probably would call myself then a local researcher because I was based at the University of Ghana. I was teaching there. I was supervising students. You know what I mean? And the initial push to start the project came from RIPS, which is a local institution. But I think over the years, I've kind of shuttled from being a local researcher to a you know, say Abimbola talks about the foreign gaze in global research, global health, and talks about the local gaze and the foreign gaze and, and all of these things. And, and there are times when I think researchers, I guess, with hyphenated identities like myself, find ourselves on opposite sides of the hyphen, right? We're either global north researchers or we're global south researchers. And it's fine. I think it's okay to kind of move in between these sorts of um, positions. Yeah. Right. Thank you. And, and thank you also for bringing a citation in there. I love when people do that. <laughs> Who has influenced our thinking, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you would be able to say a little before we close about mm-hmm. your more recent project about mental health in the arts. And that's yeah. been something you've been working on. Has that been here in the UK, that is? Or has that been? Yeah, tell me more. So, okay. So it really started because, you know, when lockdown London 2020, sitting in my flat, bored, a little sort of depressed as we all were. Um, And I kept getting these sort of WhatsApp messages from friends in Accra. It'd be a comedian with a very funny skit on COVID. I mean, I remember the one that really struck me was a comedian actor in Ghana called Clemente Suarez. I mean, that's his kind of artistic name. And he had created this really fascinating ABCs of COVID. But obviously it was sort of spoken, presented in the tree language, right? But really, really funny, funny, informative, drawing on, you know, the Ghana Health Service sort of messaging around COVID prevention and so on. And I thought, gosh, I mean, this thing is way more impactful, right, than the generic sort of GHS messaging. There'd be skits also about really funny market women just inverting the names, COVID or face masks or very funny stuff. I mean, Sandra Jovtelovich is a social psychologist. Again, somebody, a mentor talks about the creativity of the social, right? How everyday lay people can turn difficult life circumstances on their head just through humor, humor, jokes, you know what I mean? Creativity. And I thought a lot of that was happening in Ghana. You know, in in the UK, the emotional tone in the UK in 2020 was really kind of somber, angry, you know what I mean? Despair even, I would say. There were lots of deaths, right? And coming from an African-British community, that was really sort of something that hit you really hard in terms of looking at the rates of mortality and so on. But in Ghana, the tone was light, lighthearted, fun, jokes, I mean, Ghana wasn't as deeply affected by COVID as in other parts of the world. Of course, Africa is still the least affected by COVID in terms of prevalence and deaths and so on. And so I thought, well, since my current project, Chronicity and Care, is interested in the social responses, I thought, gosh, this is a really good way of understanding the social. So I just began tracking the arts, you know, so tracking music, comedy, the use of textiles and telling COVID messages and so on, right? So I wrote a paper about that. But that got me thinking about how arts can be used in my current project to communicate about 
chronic illnesses, both chronic physical illnesses and chronic mental illness. I have a longstanding interest in the arts. I mean, about 10 years ago, I curated an exhibition on mental health and arts in Accra. And it just got me thinking about really the utility, really, and the functions of using the arts in in public health engagement. So I have a few papers on COVID arts, but I'm really sort of thinking now that I'm nearing the end of data collection for chronicity and care to think about how we use the arts really to tell the message, the stories that we're gathering, you know, on chronic chronic illness experiences. Yeah. So there's uh, some further reading for our listeners. I mean, there always is if you if you care to investigate. Yeah. <laughs> That's super interesting. I think we're we're reaching the end of our time today, even though there is much more obviously we could discuss. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a great place for us to end for now. So thank you so much for sharing your insight with us, Emma. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Kat, and take care. Bye-bye. This podcast was hosted by Katriona Gold and produced by the UCL Grand Challenges team with the help of Professor Sarah Gibbon, Professor Megan Vaughan, and Nina Quaj. Today's guest was Professor Amma de Graft Aikens, and the music is by David Sestay. If you'd like to hear more perspectives on this concept of critical global health, please check out the other short podcasts in this series. For a longer listen, you can head to the UCL Grand Challenges YouTube page to find a recent interdisciplinary roundtable discussion on this topic with scholars from across UCL. For more episodes of Disruptive Voices, visit UCL Minds or follow us on Twitter at, at @grandchallenges. Grand